Hi, and welcome back to AlderPod. After somewhat of an unexpected little break, um, I want to thank you for tuning in again. Um, I've been sick, laid low with quite the, <laughs> the flu for the last three weeks, but we're back and ready to go. So I'm very happy to present to you AlderPod 16. This is Chapter 14, The Knittings. dreaming about a trip she had taken with her father when she was seven or eight. They were on one of the long-distance airships that came in and out of Queensland every few months to the territories. Vel, of course, was far from one of these stations, and Cora had gone by carriage with her father to Burkstown, a two-day's trip. She stood out with her father on the viewing deck, his strong hands around her waist as she gripped the smooth brass railings. I wish I could fly, Papa she said in her dream. Alistair Gray laughed, kissing her cheek. His mustache tickled. You never know, he said to her. You never know. She could see the territories below her, the golden plains and valleys slowly turning green as they moved north. But then the green gave way to brown, then to black, as the expanse below became charred and dead. Fires still burned, their golden flames visible from the height. The sky turned brown, clouds swirling ahead of her. She turned, but her father was gone. Instead, there stood Jem, her hands on her hips, dressed in a long white leather vest. She had a massive gun in her hands, and the metal from it was so hot it was burning her fingers so that smoke rose from them. Time for wool, said the maid, and Cora began to cry. It wasn't the first time she had awoken since the incident in the Sibs' dungeons, but it was the first time that Cora felt as if she were herself again. Though she didn't know what it was exactly, the Sibs had been feeding her some strange combination of a fluid that tasted like burned vegetables and small cakes made out of a fungus, as far as she could tell. Neither was enjoyable, but they did serve to put her in a soft, comfortable sleep. Except for that last dream. That wasn't even mildly assuring. Cora sat up in the narrow bed. The Sibs preferred the most minimal furniture, it seemed, and pulled her shift up over her shoulders. She slowly surveyed the room. It was completely round, but it was covered in white spackle, texturized with some sort of implement like a trowel. There was a low burning fire across from the bed in a low terracotta stove, and a phosphorescent lamp where the wall met the floor as well as on the ceiling. The whole room was cast in a strange, mossy green glow. There was also a chair in the room in which a mop-haired man was sleeping. He was much too tall for the chair, and had extended his legs to find a comfortable reclining position. The result, coupled with his threadbare clothing and unkempt hair, made him look a bit like a jack crow in the middle of a garden. Cora almost screamed for someone, but then stopped. The man had a guitar across his lap his fingers still resting on the fretboard. Emery was a bard, the man that had been imprisoned with her. Cora wondered how long he'd been there by her side. She couldn't remember every time she woke up, but she could recall seeing someone quite a few times, watching nervously from the end of the bed as the sibs tended to her. She could have sworn she'd seen Professor, too. Cora stretched and her stomach growled. 
She was hungry, which was a good sign. Whatever had befallen her, she would figure out later. Now she needed some food. There was a long red robe hanging from a post at the end of the bed, and she wrapped this around herself after sliding down off of it. She thought she was quiet, quiet enough not to wake the bard. But she wasn't surprised when he stirred. Bards, she supposed, always had good ears. Milady, he said. Emery? The very same, he said, smiling broadly. He had a narrow face and a very pointy nose. He was not, Cora thought, terribly handsome, save for his friendly blue eyes. But his expression was warm and inviting. Well, I'm pleased to meet you at last, Cora replied, tying the robe around her, then running her hands through her hair. Whoever had been taking care of her had managed to get the knots out, a feat she had thought impossible after her flight from Bell. You are, he stuttered, rubbing his eyes with the back of his hand, and then nearly losing his guitar as his knees moved. Uh, I mean, good morning. Is it morning? Cora asked. One could never tell. I'm not sure. How long have you been here? Emery paused and licked his lips, as if the question was complicated. He then asked, Do you want me to leave? Cora shook her head. No, Emery, I'm just wondering after you. You look exhausted. That was an understatement. The bard was thin to begin with, but his eyes were bloodshot and dark bags rimmed them too. But perhaps that was the way he always looked, a bit like a nervous bird. I'm fine. I'm fine. I promised Nesme, that's the leader of the Sibs, I think, he said a little awkwardly, that I'd stay with you to make sure you're well enough. And you feel... well? Of course. Why shouldn't I? Emery stood. His head was just a few inches from the phospho lamp above him, and he ducked, making sure he didn't make a connection. Cora imagined he'd made that mistake before. Well, it's only that you've woken up before, and walked about, and talked to me, only to fall back asleep and not remember a thing. No one's exactly sure, but after the dungeons, you seem to have gotten some sort of fever. I did, Cora said, considering. Well, I'm sorry to have worried you. "'But I assure you I'm fine now.' "'She made a move to go to the door. "'No!' Emery said, putting his hand on hers "'and then jerking it away quickly. "'Let me call for the physics. "'They can come and make sure that you're well. "'Ez has been extra helpful, too, "'that I don't expect medicine is what Hey usually does.' "'He was using the Sib's pronouns very naturally. "'You... you remember me, then?' "'Of course I do. "'You're Emery Roy, a bard from Moor. "'Why, did I not seem to remember you before?' You kept calling me by someone else's name. That's all, Emery said, a little sheepishly. He raked a hand through his hair and frowned. Which is expected, of course, seeing as you were sick and all. I just wanted to make sure you weren't indisposed any longer. <laughs> really, I feel fine. I'm hungry, but... She paused because Emery still looked concerned. Who did I call you? Emery sighed. You kept calling me Brickley. Cora started at Brick's name and didn't say anything for a moment. She hadn't thought about Brick in a long time, and she felt sick again. She backed up from the door and sat down on the bed, looking down at her hands. At first I didn't know who that was, said Emery, continuing the conversation as Cora now seemed indisposed again. Then Jem explained that he and you had a bit of a... Jem? She's here? That's what I was trying to... And Professor? Yes, yes, she's... Where are they? Why aren't they here right now?' 
Jem went out just a few ticks ago. She said her head was hurting or something fierce, and I didn't want to keep her in here when she'd already spent so much time tending to you. They were here? Up here? The whole time we were in the dungeons? Cora was starting to yell now as her temper continued to rise. Her hands were balled into fists, and she stood up, then paced, then sat down again in a puff of sheets and blankets. Emery was standing stock still by the door, his hands straight at his sides, his eyes wide open. Cora almost laughed to see him, reminded of one of the local boys tossed into the bullpen. That would make her the bull. She took a deep breath and smiled. Emery relaxed. I'd like to see Professor and Jem, and perhaps this Nesme person. I'd like to know, well, I want to know everything, I suppose. And try and get me some food, would you? And something decent to wear? She paused, looking at his vest, which was worn through almost to the shirt beneath it. And you should consider getting some rest, too. Yes, milady. He didn't move, and Cora raised her eyebrows at him, wishing he'd get the point. Anything else? No, he said, startling, and reached for the door. He popped his head in a moment later, opened his mouth, and then thought better of it. As she waited, Cora tried to stay calm. She was much too frustrated to make sense of it. How in the gods' names had Professor and Jem lived here in comfort while she'd been in the dungeons? So to calm herself, and after milling a while and coming to no satisfying conclusion, she rose from the bed and went to the window. She knew they were still underground, but the window was closed and it made her uncomfortable. Next to it was a long leather shade tied down at the bottom. There was a chain to the side, and she pulled this. With a hiss and a snap, the shade went up, and Cora, for the first time she could remember at least, gazed upon the knittings with her own eyes, albeit without her specs. Even without the clarity and definition, Cora was astonished at what she saw before her. The city was so white and so large. Gods, the cavern must have been at least a thousand paces down. The whole of the city surrounded her, the slope of it moving away from the building she was in and spiraling upwards. Everything was spiraled. Shining brass staircases, stone walkways, the designs on the sides of whitewashed buildings. And it appeared that some sunlight still made the trip down this far. Green moss covered what ground there was that was not built upon, and bright-colored banners of red and violet unfurled outside of windows and over doorways. And the people, so many people, they moved in packs and they moved alone. There were vendors and singers, there were mechanics and engineers. Some wore dark goggles, though Cora couldn't imagine it was to keep the light out. For the most part, the sibs seemed an endless succession of contrast, light and dark, tall and short, thin and stout, yet all belonging together. But before she realized what had happened, she squinted down to see a large group gathering below her window, pointing up at her. She snapped shut the shade by pulling on the chain again, and sat back on the bed, breathing heavily. "'Quite a crew,' said a voice. It was the sib she'd met in the dungeon. Hea was carrying a large platter with a combination of food and drink, none of which looked particularly appetizing. There was even a loaf of yellow-green bread and a glass of wine, as well as some cloudy beverage that looked an awful light like trough water. "'Oh, it's you,' she said, trying to sound tough. "'You shouldn't be afraid of them,' Ez said, putting the tray down on the side table and then regarding Cora intensely with Hea's dark, dark eyes. 
Most of them haven't ever even seen a woman before, so you'll have to excuse their wandering eyes. It's not polite to stare. I don't think they're concerned about being polite, as intoned, handing Cora a hunk of bread with green butter on it, or what looked like green butter. To Cora, it looked a great deal like phlegm. She took it and examined it. You eat this? It's a fungus, said Ez, the stuff on top. We make it extremely nourishing and very high in protein, much better than that stuff you drink up from cows and goats. You should try it. If only because she was so hungry, she did. It didn't melt as quickly in her tongue as butter would, but it was smooth, almost like a cheese. It complemented the slightly sour bread very well, and before she knew it, she'd consumed the better part of it. She took the wine and ignored the other drink. Thank you, she said to Ez, trying not to stare at Hayon again. She still couldn't help but think Hayon's features were as beautiful, or handsome, she couldn't decide, as any other she'd seen before. And Hayon seemed confident of it in a carefree, easy way. The wine was good, surprisingly so. How do you get grapes so far down here, she asked. It was a sweeter wine, one that Denna would have liked, but mellow too. We've got connections, said Ez, with a light laugh. It isn't as if we're entirely cut off from your world. Just mostly. It's a little complicated. I can explain it later to you if you like. I I would, I think, Cora said, and it wasn't a lie. But in the meantime, I think there were other concerns. Where are my friends? Professor and Jem? asked Ez, saying their names with more familiarity than Cora had expected. You know them? Of course, Ez replied. I'm Jen Sib. Jen's Sib? It's short for sibling? You? Her mind seemed to be moving much slower than she would have liked, as the realization formed. Ez was beautiful in much the way that Jem was. The dark eyes and hair, the sharp features. Why, Ez's face was familiar, and Cora was attracted to Ez. That was impossible for her to deny. But did that mean she found Jem attractive? Certainly not. But then again, maybe she found Ez so beautiful because she was so familiar with Jem and... She shook her head and asked, But how? Well, Sibs are made exactly the way the rest of the world is. A mother, a father... I know that, Cora said. She could feel her cheeks flush with embarrassment. And the more she tried to ignore it, the deeper she blushed. That's that's not what I meant. I, I mean... How is it that you know Jem is your sister? I didn't think. Well, I assumed that she wouldn't know. Ez looked a little miffed by the question, but shrugged anyway. Not everyone's as ashamed of their sibs as you might think. Some, like me, are raised for a few years above before we're sent down here. Or come down here, as the case may be. But I never saw you in Bell, And I've known Jem for so long. I was gone before you got there. Besides, what do you think those tunnels under your house were for? Cora was shocked. You snuck into town? No, Jem snuck here to visit me. She's welcome as a friend of the Sibs, and so is Professor. But we used the tunnels. We used the tunnels to get there, and your monster almost killed us, said Cora, accusingly. She'd been so angry about what had happened in the tunnels for all the time in the dungeons, and at last she had both the strength and the courage to blame someone for it. Where are my friends? Cora asked, craning her head to the door. She still had yet to see them, and though she doubted that Emery would lie, she didn't know for absolute certainty that they were safe. They are well, currently seeking out expertise of some of our engineers, but they've been informed that you've awoken. 
I expect they'll be along soon, Ev said. I'd like to see them, Cora said. Very much. And I'm not sure why you and your people have had me imprisoned for so long, and why you wouldn't let me see my friends, and how you got me here. I'm rather upset. Cora realized how ineffectual her rambling was, and she glanced a little helplessly at Ez. Well, let's start at the beginning, shall we? Ez said. I would like that very much, Cora replied. Ez then recounted as much as Hea could about Cora, Jem, and Professor's flight from Vel. He had described the very tunnels they had escaped into, and referred to the Order of the Oak in less than favorable terms. Motley beasts, Hea had called them, and Cora had to agree. But it's never that easy, I'm afraid, just to traipse into the Nithings. As you've gathered, we're wary of those above, and with good reason. We've lived in constant state of abuse for the last two or three centuries. We were slaves decades ago. It was through your queen, this Malus, that our freedom was granted. She did this when she was very young, hardly older than you, and I don't think she even realizes the implications of her decisions. It said she had two sibs, continued Ez. Though we don't know who they were, we think they might have died somehow, and she felt guilty about the whole ordeal. I see, said Cora, though she was still confused. But why did that beast try to kill us in the tunnels? I'm sure Professor and Jem could have spoken to you and explained the situation rather than have you try to kill us. Ez's face sank a bit, and Hale leaned forward in Hale's chair. We didn't send the creature to you. It found you, and for good reason. Why? The Sib raised Hare's hands to Hare's face and massaged the area between the eyes. There are things that are extremely difficult to explain, but the creature you saw, and that we had to kill, is in many ways just like the Sibs. It, for I do not even think the creature can be identified in any other way than that, is an abomination. A creation from the last reign. Queen Corrine had a rather intriguing group of influencers, and one of their duties as scientists was to breed these monsters. They engineered these creatures to be, well, living war machines. But it went wrong. Something didn't work. They were mild-mannered and, well, rather useless. We called them slugs, for lack of a better term, but that's only until they smell blood. Then they rightly lose their minds. Blood? asked Cora. But how... Your... Courses? Ez said delicately. Oh, said Cora, mortified. I hadn't realized. She bit down on her lip. And me? She said. Why the dungeons? I hadn't done anything. That was not for any of us to decide, though plenty tried to convince Nesme to be rid of you entirely. Thankfully, Professor and Jem are respected enough because Nesme put you away instead in a safe place until a decision could be made. It would have been an easier decision had it not been for Emery's appearance, which many of my people assumed was connected to yours. I understand how Professor led you here, but his arrival was all the more disconcerting. No man has ever found us by accident, until him. Ez pointed at the door over Hare's shoulder, and there was Emery, some long blankets hanging over one arm, and his guitar in the other. The bard shrugged modestly. They did save my life, Cora, he said. Strange as it may seem, after you, well, what? Cora asked. After I what? Do you remember how you arrived here? I mean, in this part of the Nithings? Emery asked. That was part of the mechanism that Cora had not figured out. She remembered being in the dungeon and falling asleep. After that, things went rather fuzzy. 
It was as if there were snippets of half-remembered songs and dreams that she could just hear and see, but as soon as she grabbed onto them, they flitted away like field butterflies. I suppose I thought they let me out. Emery told me I'd been sick, Cora said softly, knowing that was not the answer that they were looking for. Well, said Emery, rubbing the back of his head and laughing nervously, <laughs> I woke up from a nap, and you, well, you weren't making much noise. I was worried. I heard a clack, and then, before I knew it, you were standing in the middle of my room. I was? Cora asked. She looked from face to face, hoping that Emery's explanation was a joke rather than serious. But, but how? <laughs> how in the hells could I have done something like that? That is something we will very much like to know, said Ez. You really can't remember a thing. No, oh, well, not anything substantial. I hit the bars so hard at one point, I'm sure I bled all over the place, she said and held up her hands. There were deep cuts, now mostly healed on her hands and forearms from the struggle, and bruises faded by a few days. You don't have a history of working with mechanics? asked Ez a little hopefully. Cora laughed. Me? <laughs> no, I read books. That's about all I know of histories or anything. Professor and Brick, she paused, saying his name for the first time in a long time. They were always the one interested in technology. The reason we ask, said Ez, is that the mechanism is in fact tied to an enormous stone weight under the dungeon itself. To get out, in effect, you would have had to turn the stone itself which easily weighed more than ten people. Ten people? Cora asked, looking down at her own arms. Strong? Sure, but not that strong. Such mysteries. There is much more to speak of, but I've probably already said too much. Nesme will speak to you this afternoon, and hopefully that will be more enlightening. Cora sighed. I, I've brought your specs, Emery said helpfully, and a change of clothing. Jem helped us put together something more suiting for you. Your corset's been washed and your skirt mended too, if you'd like. Thank you, Emery. Your friends are due back here at the inn in just a few ticks. I imagine you'll want some more food and drink, and you can meet him downstairs, said the sib. Then Haya paused, looking at Emery and back to Cora. Do you need me to send someone to you to help you dress? No, said Cora. I think I'll manage well enough alone, but she paused, taking Emery by the elbow. His arms were surprisingly strong, though, long and thin. Emery, do you think you could wait outside the door for me? I don't fancy going out there alone very much at the moment. Oh, certainly, milady, said Emery, and he shut the door quietly behind himself. Neither Professor nor Jem had cried upon seeing Cora, but, she reflected, neither of them were the sorts of women that would be expected of. They both embraced her, and Emery too, whom they seemed to have adopted as one of their own. The four uplanders, as they were called, then sat at an ebony table at the back of the inn that had been cleared of all its usual guests for the duration of their stay. Only the innkeeper, a sib named Ver, and Hea's assistant Essam remained and were happy enough to bring food and drink to the guests as they needed it. The inn itself looked nothing like the Golden Nugget, which was the inn and vel Cora had grown up around. That was a true inn and tavern, working both as a local watering hole and a place for visitors to stay, 
It had mahogany railings, brass fittings, and a beautiful copper bar that stretched the length of the room. Here in the knittings, this inn, if it had a name, Cora hadn't caught it yet, was far more open for one thing. The walls were uniform white, and there was no artwork to speak of. Instead of artwork, potted plants dotted the room, more like fungus than flowers. The bar, if that's what it could be called, was behind a ledge. Drinks were tapped from large wooden barrels along the wall. The innkeeper served as both host and barkeep, and the assistant took orders as well as for fresh towels. The tables and chairs were all ebony wood, just like the chair and bed in Cora's room, but there were splashes of color here and there. A red tablecloth, a purple curtain, a green vase. But simple. Understated. After the initial greetings, Cora found conversation with Professor and Jem to be difficult. The last time she had seen them, she was crumpled on the ground in the tunnels with her hands over her head, screaming. She had thought that they were dead. "'So you're feeling better?' "'Completely,' asked Professor. She was more anxious than usual, her foot moving constantly under the table to a beat known only to her. She had already asked Cora this question. "'I am,' Cora said. "'I'm getting to like the food.' It was true. Although the sibs didn't offer anything in the way of meat— Cora was becoming quite fond of the bread and buttery topping. She was picking at another piece of this now, and sipping some water. "'Takes a little getting used to, but it's all right,' said Professor. "'Oh, I reckon I could eat half a steer myself if given the chance. "'Oh, but God's Cora, it's just so good to see you. "'Just to see you. "'I was getting worried.' "'Sounds like your friendship with the Sibs has paid off,' she said softly. "'As told me, were persuasive when it came to my situation.' If I thought you were safe anywhere else, it's all right, Cora said, holding up her hand. She didn't want to hear about it, didn't want to hear apologies. She was here, she was alive, and though she had a thousand questions to ask, for the moment, she just wanted to be in the company of her friends. Thank you for being a friend. I'd have it no other way. Cora smiled at the little woman. She smiled back. Jem was staring out the window, and Emery was tuning his guitar again, something which he did compulsively. He looked up as Cora's gaze fell on him and smiled. "'So,' said Cora, looking down at her hands, trying to sound casual, "'once we lay low here for a while, are we going back to Vell? "'We can see what we can find, clues and the like, perhaps write father again and see—' Emery nearly broke a string, and Jem and Professor both startled, simultaneously— Cora hated being the last to know things, and once again she was beginning to feel completely left out of the loop. "'It isn't safe to go back there, Cora,' said Jem. "'How do you know?' Cora snapped. "'How do any of us know?' Professor took a deep breath and then took a sip of the foamy beverage she'd ordered. This seemed to calm her, and she closed her eyes. "'Cora, you're probably just too tired to hear about this,' she said softly. "'I'm not. I'm fine. Surely people are looking for me. Surely they've wondered.' If the oak took dinner and brick, well, I can't imagine what the townsfolk would just stand by. We can meet up with them, send out search parties. She trailed off because she noticed Professor's eyes were filling with tears. It's not as easy as all that, said Jem. <laughs> Why not? Just tell me what's happened already. I'm tired of, literally, being left in the dark to figure it out myself. Professor couldn't speak. She clamped her hand over her mouth and turned away. "'What is it?' Cora demanded. "'Why can't we just go back to Vell?' "'There's no Vell to go back to,' said Jem softly. 
her face impassable and unreadable. She hardly moved in her chair as she stared up at Cora. The Sibs went scouting for us as soon as we arrived, and we told them what we thought had happened. There was some sort of scuffle on the outskirts of town afterwards between the oak and the asp, but it was too late. Most of Vel, and the people in it, well, the few who survived fled, mostly to Garment Town. Cora felt as if a horse had just kicked her in the gut. She sat down slowly, feeling the cool wood of the tabletop beneath her fingers. It was assuring. It was stable. It would not move. It would not change on her. Not like Jem. Not like her life. The room was feeling very small. And Denna? And Brick? Mesna Gimple? she asked, trying to catalogue the names and faces of the people she had known and loved so long in Vell. What about them? It's my fault, Professor finally said. When I found out the oak was coming, I sent a letter to friends of mine in the Asp, hoping they'd arrive first. I didn't want Brickley going with the oak, but damn it, Cora, he gave me no choice. That boy was up to no good. It was only a kiss, Cora said, tears of fury in her eyes. Professor's lips were pursed tight. Regardless, his talent would have been squandered with the oak. The asp arrived, but not in enough time. From what we can gather, there was an uprising. They found bodies, but none of them recognizable. There was a large fire. Professor was shaking now with emotion, her tiny hands balled into fists. The girls went one way, said Jem. North. The rest of the oak has been following the asp north and east. The trail was lost then since a storm came through. We can only hope that Brick found his way into better hands, and that Denna will be delivered safely to Hartley. But we have to get her! They stole her! She's got to be frightened out of her mind! cried Cora, burying her face in her hands. Shh, Cora. It was Emery. He was next to her now, and put his hand on her shoulder, tentative. Then he squeezed. We're all out of sorts here. And we'll figure something out. I promise. But where will we go? What about father? She asked Professor. Nothing's been heard from the Alderman. The Queen's got them sequestered on the island for another month during Aldermoot, said Professor Darkly. I reckon it's all connected. Suspicious all around. I know, Malus. And though she's a cruel bitch, <clears throat> excusing me, when she wants to be, she never ordered the murder of innocent townsfolk. No, something went terribly wrong. But where do we go? cried Cora again. I can't stay here forever. I need sunlight. I need the fresh air. Professor finished the last of her drink with a deep draft. We'll be going to visit Lady Vizina. If anyone knows anything, it's her. Aunt C? Lady Vizina was her mother's aunt, and second in line to the throne, being the queen's only female first cousin from a matrilineal line. Cora had visited her when she was five years old, on their way from Queensland to the territories. She remembered her as a tall woman, with white blonde hair, long and curly, and a booming voice. Estelle, Cora's mother, had never spoken particularly highly of Aunt C, in spite of the fact that Cora was named after her. The very same, replied Professor, so helpless. Jem was the one who elaborated further, now that Professor had dropped her head on the table. Professor and C had a bit of a falling out some years back. Oh, Cora said, 
not knowing what else to say on the subject. She knew C less than she knew Professor, but that wasn't saying much. She wondered what surprises awaited in the next few moments of conversation. Well, when are we leaving? We've got some business to finish here first, said Professor, reluctantly bringing her head up off the table. But we won't linger too long. I've already asked too much out of this, out of Nesme in the first place. Cora's anger and sorrow had already turned into something more sinister. Bitterness. She stared at Professor, who would not make eye contact with her, and waited for some better explanation. Surely she was jesting. Asking too much from Nesme? By what? Imprisoning Cora? Forcing her to the brink of illness and exhaustion? Emery was concerning himself again with the tuning of his guitar, and Jem appeared to have nothing left to include in the conversation. "'So I suppose I'll just languish upstairs until you decide when we're going,' she snapped. "'I suppose in the meantime I'll just start writing letters to Father so he knows what's going on. He'll actually want to do something to help Denna.' "'Good luck with that,' said Jem, unfazed by Cora's overt display of sarcasm. "'Even if the letters did get to him, who's to say they'll be intact? "'We're dealing with the Order of the Oak, Cora. You know what their business is. "'They control messages in and out of the continent.' Well, surely there must be something I can do, cried Cora, standing again. She slapped the table with the palm of her hand, and the pain of striking brought tears to her eyes again. The door to the inn then thankfully opened and closed on its hinges, and Ez emerged. He had raised his eyebrows as he had just arrived as Cora had started crying and demanding answers. All eyes turned to the sib, who just smiled a little nervously. I don't mean to be interrupted, he said at length. Not at all, Ez replied his sister. "'We've been discussing Vel,' said Professor, elaborating. She sounded weary, and Cora wondered if she'd been losing on dreams as well. "'I, uh, thought Cora would like a tour of the Nithings,' said Ez, indicating the cloak. "'But figured being slightly undercover might avert some of the stairs.' "'Yes, I'd love that,' said Cora, before anyone could answer for her. "'But, milady, unattended?' asked Emery startled into motion by Ez's entrance and offer. He had a scandalized look on his face. Cora paused for a moment after walking to Ez and taking the cloak. "'I didn't say you couldn't come,' she said to the bard. He was rather clingy, she thought, but right, nonetheless. Not that he'd be a likely savior should the need arise. But she did trust Ez, and she trusted Emery, too. "'Oh,' said Emery, rather dumbly. Ez's smile dissipated slightly, and Hea said, "'Well, Cora does have an appointment with Nesme in a few hours.' "'I'll be able to find my way back down when the time comes,' he said the bard, clumsily getting to his feet and adjusting the long, dirty duster he wore. "'I don't have a cloak for you,' said Ez. "'I won't need one,' said Emery. Cora looked at Jem and Professor, who were speaking with one another in low voices. They both paused and looked back at her. "'He won't stop me,' she said. <laughs> "'For the first time in a long time,' said Professor. "'I don't think I have to worry about you.' Her gaze did linger a little long on Emery, but she looked away then and studied her hands. Alderpod is written, produced, and presented by Natanya Barron. You can always learn more online at aldersgatecycle.com and aldersgatecycle.wordpress.com. I look forward to hearing from you soon. Thanks.